I'm Dr. Robin Roth. And I'm Dr. Adrian Rosenthal. And together, we are the Booby Docs, our Instagram account where we talk about breast cancer and breast health in an educational and approachable way. We are both fellowship trained breast radiologists who have been best friends since day one of med school. We work together, we mom together, and now we podcast together. Welcome to the Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. If you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer, then this podcast is for you. Each episode will sit down with some of the top breast cancer experts and inspiring thrivers to help you navigate through a cancer diagnosis while having some fun along the way. So without further ado, let's be breasties. Nailed it. (laughs) This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please contact your doctor with any symptoms or concerns that you may be having. Thank you and enjoy the show. I'm so excited to welcome my old friend, um, Dr. Heather Greenwood. She is an associate professor of radiology and biomedical engineering at UCSF. And she also has been personally affected by breast cancer, which she's going to tell us about. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Robin. It's so wonderful to reconnect and to be here with you tonight. I'm so excited. I love your platform. And I'm just honored to be talking to you all tonight. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm so happy you could join us. I mean, we met like probably 15 years ago, I think, when we were med students. I know. Isn't that crazy? How was that 15 years ago? It feels like it has flown, absolutely just flown by. It totally has. The last, like, almost decade has been a blur. So I went to NYU for my radiology residency. So I was there for four years. And then I did my breast imaging fellowship at UCSF. So that was a year after that. And I've stayed on faculty. So I've been at UCSF just doing only breast imaging now for um, eight years, seven or eight years. (laughs) I've lost track. I feel like the time has flown since training ended. And it just is crazy. So, and you, congratulations, because you have a baby and you got married over the last few years. Yes, yes. I have a 14-month-old son, so I'm in clinic four days a week, and it's been a really nice balance, you know, and I feel very fortunate because it's really great to be a mom and also get to be a doctor and go kind of do my thing too, which, you know, I know in some other fields isn't always the easiest thing to really figure out that balance, especially so early. So yes, I'm surviving with one. I'm amazed that you do it with three. (laughs) I'm like hanging on by a thread at all times. (laughs) I'd imagine. I also work four days and I agree. Like I think breast imaging especially is a nice deal, like a nice balance of, you know, work and family which we're, I think we're always constantly trying to achieve. It's impossible, but. From everything I've heard from you, I'm sure you feel the same way, but I feel like my days are packed with meaning, um, you know, constant patient interaction and interacting with patients at a really vulnerable and, and challenging and scary time. And so I feel, you know, it's really nice to get to go and have four days a week where I get to focus on taking care of other people and, and then go home to my kid and also, you know, have time for that too. I agree with you 100%. I think it's such a rewarding field. And I actually, like the days that I'm at work, I find more rewarding, I think, than sometimes being at home with uh, like a, a toddler, you know, gets yeah. really <laughs> but, oh yeah, <laughs> I was just home for 10 days. Uh-huh. I like had avoided COVID for so long and then I got it and my son didn't get it, but we were home. He couldn't go back to school for 15 days and I was just dying to go back to work. Mm-hmm. It was a really, you know, it really made me reappreciate what, what we have in our careers. Totally. So give us the backstory. Tell us a little bit about your mom and how breast cancer affected your family. Sure. You know, so Um, Unfortunately, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 32 years old. At the time, I was six and my sister was three and I had a brother who was a few months old. So probably in retrospect, my my mom probably, you know, developed breast cancer while she was pregnant with him. And um, she was diagnosed in the late 80s. And I feel like at that time, it was very, very rare for women that young to develop breast cancer. Um, No one in the family had had breast cancer before. Um, We do come from an Ashkenazi Jewish background, but, you know, it was kind of, you know, of course, a shock to our entire family. 
Um, and unfortunately she passed away when she was 35. And so we were nine, six and three. And it obviously was, you know, pretty, pretty horrible, um, you know, losing somebody at that age. And now that I've become a mom, it's also for me, put it in the perspective of what it must've been like for her, not like not feeling like she was going to get to see us grow up and all the joys of motherhood. And I think that was, you know, as a, I'd always looked at it from my perspective is how hard it was as the kid who lost a parent. And I think new motherhood has made me appreciate it on a whole other level of what it must've been like for her. Uh, so it was obviously a, a horrible tragedy. And, um, but I think, you know, the good of it came that my sister and I both went into women's health care. Um, she's a fertility specialist at UCSF. I'm a little more um, directly uh, involved with breast cancer after her. So going into medical, we both wanted to be doctors and going into medical school, I really thought I wanted to do mm -hmm. something related to breast cancer. And I remember rotating through breast oncology, breast surgery. And I was actually on my breast surgery rotation that I emailed um, the chief of breast imaging at Northwestern, who was Dr. Mendelson at the time. I'm sure she doesn't even remember me, but I spent one morning with her in her breast clinic and I just mm -hmm. knew it was what I wanted to do. I just remember her talking to post-lumpectomy patients and giving all the patients the results and, you know, letting them know that they were clear. And I just knew immediately, I felt like it was something where I could play a role in early detection, hopefully prevention, and see, obviously, patients with breast cancer, but also be involved with patients who might be fearing they have breast cancer, being able to tell them they don't. Um, so it really you know, kind of a tragedy turned into something that really shaped my life. And I feel fortunate every day that I found breast imaging. I feel like it's this niche in the, in the medical world. And I can't even imagine if I hadn't found it. You know, there's hard days, there's challenging days, but I've never regretted for a second that this is what I've chosen to do. So that's kind of my background and how I ended up here and how fortunate I feel um, to have found this specialty. Well, so many things I want to talk about uh, of, of everything you said. First of all, what a what a tragedy having such young children. So tell me a little bit about your mom. Um, like, what are some of your favorite memories of her? Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting to think back. It's been so long now since she passed, and I think, you know, one of the hard parts about her getting sick when I was only six years old is kind of that's when your formative memories start. So I think. You know, so many of my memories revolve around her being sick and things like that. But I have so many happy memories, too, and just of like normal childhood, which is what I love to think back on. You know, my mom was just the most kind, patient person. And I remember how she would spend all day pretending to play school with my sister and I every Sunday. And she'd always make breakfast for everyone on Sundays. And we'd sit around the table just talking about normal things, no matter what was going on in our life. And I always treasured how she always, no matter how sick she was from chemo or what she was going through emotionally or physically would take that Sunday to just be with us and just have a normal family day like any other family who wasn't going through what our family was. Um, she also was one of four girls and she was mm -hmm. definitely the tomboy in her family and she would spend hours with my grandpa watching football and she knew all the stats and that was Definitely something she passed down to me is a love of sports. And I remember she took me to my very first football game and I grew up in Minnesota. So she took me to a Vikings Bears game. And I, for some reason, I remember like eating hot dogs with her and just having such a normal day. And then I ended up spending much of my adult life in Chicago and the Bears randomly became my favorite team. Uh -huh. um, and so just how we were able to find some normalcy and, and have these happy, happy times amidst everything we were going through um, and how she never, ever, ever lost hope. And we were till the end, you know, she fought and fought every day because she wanted to be with her kids. And I think even though she had such a short, short time with us, one thing I treasure immensely is how well she knew us, even how little we were. She had the foresight to make us all tapes, actually. So she made us cassette mm -hmm. audio tapes when she was sick for the possibility that she may pass. And it was just amazing to listen to each and every one of ours 
and how she knew what we would be good at, the things we might struggle with, and just her words of wisdom, um, which just, I can imagine how hard it was for her to do that. But for us, it's these treasures. We have her voice and her message forever. So um, incredible. Yeah, it was kind of something that I'm just still touched by, you know, decades later that she thought to do that for us. It says so much about who she was as a person that, you know, she was thinking about, you know, you having to continue on without her. And yeah, it breaks my heart because my kids are around the same age that you lost. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I just think of what strength it took for her to just keep on being a mom and no matter how sick she was, you know, and I think, you know, back then with, there was a lot of, there was a lot less treatments, I think, for side effects of chemo than we have now. And I think, you know, she'd be in bed sick and tired. And if we ever needed her, though, her, she'd always welcome us with open arms. Um, and yeah, I just think of her as like the most strong person I've ever known. So that's all I'll always remember her. I love that. Her name was Robin, right? Robin with an I or a Y? Uh, with an I. I feel connected to her from the name. <laughs> I love the name. <laughs> she sounds like an incredible woman. Do you ever listen to her audio tapes? Yeah, you know, it took me a long time actually for me to listen to mine. I think I was probably 20 something years old when I was finally ready to listen to it. Um, and so I do, I listen to it. I've shared it with my dear friends. Um, when my sister actually got married, she, you know, part of her wedding is a huge Indian celebration, but then she did a smaller, smaller couple hundred person wedding the first day and it was beautiful it was in Uh san francisco city hall which is this huge high ceiling rotunda and she actually played her tape as part of the ceremony and so it was like my mom's voice just in this huge like you know huge ceiling room with her special people and um i don't think there was a dry eye in the room so that was so special and i think as time's gone on we both wanted to share it with the people like our significant others, our families, our dear friends, just to share that part of us. So yeah, it's such a treasure. I I just got chills like thinking about that at the wedding. Wow, that's so powerful. This is personal, but would you consider sharing a clip of the audio of your mom speaking for the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I dare you not to cry. Enjoy. Honey, I know that if I am not here to watch you grow, into a young woman, that the strength you have shown already will eventually carry you through. It will be very hard. It will require you to really get a good grip, to believe firmly in yourself and your ability to make the adjustment. Trust in yourself, for you are an incredibly special person. Be open to suggestions from others, but be enough in touch with yourself to know what is right for you. Joseph Campbell, who was a great teacher of mythology, said that happy people are those that follow their bliss. Know what you learn that lights a spark in your soul and do it regardless of worldly goods, others' expectations, and regardless of what others think you should do. Only you will truly know what road to choose. Remember too, my lovely daughter, to use your emotions, positive or negative, to discover things about yourself. They will often be your roadmap to solving many of the problems you encounter in your life. Allow yourself the right to make mistakes. I went to a lecture once and a woman there said, mistakes are really only opportunities to learn. We all make mistakes, but we have to allow ourselves to be human and to try to learn from what we have done. Understand and respect your needs and relationships. Let others experience the beauty in you, and together you will experience all that is beautiful in life. I love you, my dear, precious Heather. Our souls have touched, and nothing, not even death, can take that away from us. Love never dies. Your mother must be so proud looking down on you and your sister. You guys are both specializing in women's health and really using her, your experiences to help others. Oh, thank you. I, I'd like to think so. 
One of the other incredible things that you do to honor your mom is something called Robin's Ride. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, we have a foundation at UCSF under my mom's name that goes to breast cancer research. A lot of it goes to the Hereditary Cancer Center at UCSF that actually my now brother-in-law established as my sister's holiday gift one year. And ever since then, yeah, it was pretty touching. I knew he was the one for her when that was her first holiday gift, but we've been able um, to meet uh, with various people to kind of direct where the funds go to. And so for our birthdays, for her wedding, people are so thoughtful and we always get random donations to the, the foundation. And then we obviously raise money too. And our absolute favorite way to do it throughout the pre-pandemic years. And I'm hoping we can get back to it as life, I hope, feels a little more normal as we would do, you know, we're all exercise addicts too in our family. And we would do a soul cycle ride every year, um, just pack the room, raise a ton of money. You know, we try to raise around $15,000 a year um, just from our friends and family. And it was just a really positive, inspiring. I don't know if I'm, I'm sure you've been to a soul cycle. Well, you're a Peloton person, but it's, you know, very similar to soul cycle <laughs> and pack the room. I mean, what a beautiful tribute to your mom. I, I could tell it's so powerful. I could feel the energy when you post about it on social media. Yeah, it's wonderful. We have friends and family fly in for it. There's always a great UCSF residency and fellowship and attending presence. So it's it's like the most meaningful thing ever. And I'm really hoping um, that we can start doing it again soon because we did it for four years straight and it just wow. doesn't feel the same not having it. Well, I would love to participate when it, when you when you get it yes. and running again. What's the name of the foundation? The Robin Beth Greenwood Memorial Foundation for Breast Cancer Research at UCSF. Oh. Kind of a long name. I just realized your mom has the same initials as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG. <laughs> I know. That's a power move. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think I just realized that last year, too. <laughs> All right. So your mom, so she was 32 at her breast cancer diagnosis. So because of that, did you start screening earlier? Yeah, you know, I definitely started screening earlier. But I just had a few different recommendations. So I did, you know, some people said 10 years before a diagnosis, but then 22 with mamma was a little bit early. So I had yeah. one mammogram before I turned 30, I remember as a medical student. And then when I turned 30 was when I started doing mammography and MRI every year. And mm -hmm. um I'm pretty good about it. And then obviously with the pregnancy, it took, you know, I was delayed a bit, but I feel like that's the most important thing for me. And we did genetic testing. And fortunately, mm -hmm. in our family, nobody tested positive for any known gene, which is really good. But just with obviously our family history and other risk factors, we still are in that kind of high risk group. And um, I think one of the things that I'm so passionate about is working in our community to figure out who's at high risk because not everyone has something as obvious as my family mm -hmm. history where I'm so fortunate to at least know that I'm high risk so that I can do high risk screening. And I started mammography early and which is crazy because I know you and I are the same age. So all my friends just got their first mammogram, which I know we're going to talk about, but um, it's crazy right. to be at that age. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I've, yeah, I've been, been doing, doing it for, for 10, 10 years. years. I think that, you know, I, I love to see our community kind of coming together, talking about who needs to be, have a risk assessment by what age and just really try to identify more women who really need to start screening or high risk screening early. A hundred percent. And actually, this is a great transition to bring up some of the um, the ACR screening recommendations, because we talk about this a lot, because obviously there's lots of conflicting recommendations out there. And we are so pro early and, you know, early detection and, and identifying people who are high risk. So um, average risk women with um, should start screening at age 40 every year annually. That saves the most lives. All societies agree. If you have a family history of breast cancer, you want to start 10 years before your earliest first degree relatives, but not before age 30 for mammography and age 25 for MRI. And I think that's, that's, that's the clause that gets people. Yeah. For people that have a greater than 20% lifetime risk of breast cancer, um, so like a very strong family history be one of those, you want to supplement, consider supplemental screening with MRI or even ultrasound for people that are intermediate risk. And we could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so you are 
You're living proof that you're eating your money where the mouth is. <laughs> we try. Yeah. My yeah. sister has also done the same. And I think, you know, she's unfortunately fallen into the cycle of some false positives. But I think, you know, really just talking to your doctor about risk benefit analysis and, and what is your goal. And I think for us, you know, we saw the, the horrible effect of not knowing you should be being screened or not knowing you're high risk and and having a clinically detected breast cancer as opposed to a screen detected breast cancer, which we just know that there's worse outcomes for. So, um, and also now we have screening MR and all these other tools that weren't necessarily around that. And so I think we're so fortunate and I'm so grateful to kind of the generation of breast imagers and researchers who came before us to really work on developing these tools that have made a huge clinical impact for these patients, totally, including ourselves. Yeah. You know, you mentioned a good point that your sister, unfortunately, has fallen. And I mean, one of the drawbacks of doing MRI or any supplemental screening earlier is that you might find something that is not breast cancer, but it warrants a biopsy. So we see something abnormal on an MRI. It's more common in young women when you have a lot of background enhancement. So you might see things that enhance that are not cancer, but they do need to be biopsied and addressed because they could be, right? And yeah. that's kind of the name of the game. So sometimes it leads. The, the downside is it might lead to some biopsies or unnecessary biopsies, but you can't tell if it's breast cancer. That's why you're biopsying it. Right. So, but but the, 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 the benefit is that you might find breast cancer early when it's treatable. Yeah. And I think really having a conversation with our patients, you know, we're so fortunate that we have all these high risk um, clinics like a hereditary clinic, and then we have our breast care center. So everyone, most of our high risk patients are tucked in. And so, we're so fortunate to work with incredible colleagues who really counsel patients on a lot of this. And yeah. they are well aware that, you know, the pretest probability or the probability that their biopsy is going to come back positive in most mm-hmm. cases, you know, obviously it varies depending on what the imaging finding looks like is, right. is more likely to be benign than right. cancer. And, you know, that's kind of the goal of high risk screening is to be sensitive which unfortunately is at the cost of specificity, but we know that we also are finding cancers way smaller and way earlier and more known negative when we screen these patients with MRI. So I feel like as a patient, I just always like going in with as much background knowledge so that I'm prepared for whatever scenario may come of it. So 100%. Society of Breast Imaging now recommends that all women, especially Ashkenazi Jewish and Black women, be evaluated for risk factors no later than age 30. So you could identify people that would benefit from supplemental screening. Um, And I love that recommendation. But Dr. Copens did bring up a good point, which is that most women who are diagnosed with breast cancer don't have any of the identifiable risk factors for breast cancer. So (laughs) high risk patients should be screened early, but just because you're just because you're high, not high risk doesn't mean you're not at risk. Yes. By being female and getting older, like that your, your risk increases every year. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things about my career so far, and, and I'd love to hear you feeling the same, is that all of a sudden it's like not shocking to see someone in their 20s who has no, what I would call known risk, because I think mm-hmm. we just don't know necessarily yet what all these, you know, oh, as you know, potential genes and whatnot might be, um, be diagnosed with breast cancer. I feel like when, even when I was in training, it was like, oh, they're in their twenties, they don't have breast cancer. And unfortunately, I feel like that's changed. So I agree with Dr. Copans. I I think it's good. It's a challenge to everyone. Like he said, is a really good point is unfortunate, not to sound scary, but is at risk. There's a lot I think we have left to do to to figure out who is at risk. Certainly, there are environmental factors, there are genetic factors we don't know about, and I think that we're just scratching the surface on that. No, but I'm with you. I feel like the patients in our practice are getting younger. I know the data doesn't actually show that. Maybe we're just getting older, or you just remember those cases. I know that's what everyone says, and I'm I just I have a hard time believing it. So I wanted to talk about. I just had my first mammogram. I know you're an old pro here, but I just had my first mammogram experience. And (laughs) I don't know, I felt like such a hypocrite that I've never done it before, but I obviously just followed the recommendations and I'm 40. So I I got my mammogram and I don't know, I, I was really nervous because I was nervous, even though I knew what to expect. I knew the numbers statistically likely that 
I did, you know, most people will have a normal mammogram. I think the call the callback rate is one out of every ten women get callback from their mammogram. So I knew statistically I was going to be okay, um, and I knew even if I got called back for for some abnormal imaging, it would be okay also. So I knew, and and I also knew that God forbid it was breast cancer that I would you know have the resources and and would face it head on. But still, I was playing this in my mind about you know I was also doing it publicly, like I was doing it on my story. Yeah. I watched. I loved it. it was yes, so, it was so great. Was, you made it look so fun. Well, I'll tell you it was fun because I just felt like I was finally being able to experience what everyone experiences. And certainly my experience was a little different because not everyone gets to read it with, you know, knows they're looking at and knows the text and gets the, you know, gets the results that day. But for me, I just felt like I was able to put my money where my mouth is. And like the messages that we got that day in stories were just so positive. Like, I think a lot of people were nervous to get their first mammogram, didn't know what to expect. So I think that it was some really good feedback. Thankfully, everything came back normal. I also got a survey breast ultrasound because I have dense breast tissue, which I was expecting and everything came back normal. So um, but yeah, hopefully I convince somebody to get their mammogram. Yeah. Well, I think what, you know, your experience is, like you said, a little different than most people, mm-hmm. but I know so many of my friends like this year have started and have called me before and then have called me after and really have felt like the anticipation yeah. was much worse than the actual experience. Um, I've, and for me, I've always appreciated my texts, but every time I get my mammogram, I appreciate them ever, right. even more. I really think, you know, it's kind of this landmark time in our life is where we're now a screening age and yeah. you know we're going through it with our friends and I didn't and, think that the, like I expected it to really hurt I mean I think it's dramatized in like cartoons in the media like, <laughs> about yeah well and all the pictures where it's like it's compressed yeah. so much it looks like a pancake thing totally. and then it's like, <laughs> like they did I not mean, do that it wasn't pleasant but like it was tolerable <laughs> Yeah. And I feel even more so if you're not claustrophobic, claustrophobic about screening MRs that when I used to do them during residency, I remember it would be like my 45 minutes of like, I can just rest and listen to <laughs> relaxing music and not be at work. And um, it was actually, you know, and that experience isn't bad either, at least in my opinion. Oh, that's interesting. That's good to hear. Um, any advice to women who are about to undergo their first mammogram or their first MRI? I just think, you know, what you said is so important to remember. I think going in, um, you know, there's about one in 10 chance you might get called back, but it doesn't mean there's anything wrong. And I think, you know, that's what I wish we could put a disclaimer on every Mm -hmm. report because, you know, our, you with the Cures Act, our reports and saying there's something abnormal is getting released to patients, unfortunately, before their doctor can talk to them or our nurses. We have nurse, wonderful nurses we're so lucky to work with who call all the patients who are getting called back. And, you know, they can go over with them that even though we're calling you back, the likelihood is that it's nothing. It's still important to work it up because there's still a small chance. And like you said earlier, even if you need a biopsy, it's still even, it's a low chance that that's cancer. So I would just tell every patient, especially on your first mammogram, there's, you know, unfortunately, since we've never seen your breast before, there's probably an even slightly higher likelihood that you might get called back. Um, And that's just because we don't have priors to compare it with. And so um, even if you get called back, it's most likely normal, but just important to go back and get, sometimes it's just even one extra picture and, and we're done. And I think, unfortunately, um, not all of our patients are aware of that and they get a call back on the screen and assume it's definitely cancer when actually it's most likely not. I think that's such a good point. Um, you know, speaking of like the, re- the report getting released to the patient, one thing as a radiologist that we do is deliver bad news, you know, give a cancer diagnosis. Um, And I think that is the most important part of our job and the hardest part of our job. Um, But I also think it's the most rewarding because I think we're, like you said, we're able to help these women at their most, you know, um, vulnerable times in their lives and giving that bad news. And I, I always try, I mean, this is something I've developed over the past decade about delivering bad news but I really try to get myself in the mindset that like I'm giving someone the worst news of their life and really like try to honor that diagnosis that I'm about mm-hmm. to give. And 
I always, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on delivering bad news. You know, it's interesting how we practice a little differently. So our referring providers or our nurses are the ones, usually it's the referring provider that gives the diagnosis. However, I believe strongly that, you know, if I see something on a mammogram or ultrasound that I think there's over a 95% chance it's cancer, I'm in, except under maybe extreme circumstances, I feel the need to at least express my concern and just, you know, I, I think it's a delicate art and every patient reacts differently, but I do take the time to sit down and just say, you know, based on what we're seeing, this is probably this. And of course we can be wrong, but, um, and just kind of give them an idea of next steps and get them tucked in. Um, we're so lucky because if we see what we call a Byrads 5 lesion or something that we wouldn't accept a benign result for, we can actually often get patients in the same day to our breast care center so they can get an answer that day, um, which is also a huge, uh, a very nice thing for our patients who just really want an answer. Um, But I think it's definitely an art and I know we all do it differently. Giving bad news is really hard. And Mm -hmm. I think what I try to do is just be there to listen, no matter how busy we are, not rush, answer all the questions, provide resources, and, you know, let the patient know they can contact my nurse anytime to get a hold of me if there's anything else, you know, I can help with. But um, it's definitely a really, really challenging and tricky topic. And I think every patient wants something a little different. And so I just try to read their cues and just support them in whatever way I can. But I feel like I'm learning every day and no one's perfect at doing it. And feedback from patients. I loved how you asked on Instagram today, like what people like, because I found that so educational for myself. I thought it was awesome. Thank you. I actually wanted to read some of these things because I got so many um, responses about what's something somebody did well or poorly when they were getting your breast cancer diagnosis. And, you know, we probably got 30 responses and one of them was good and all of them were bad. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) We got work to do. (laughs) So I'm going to read some of them because the good one, okay, was that she, my doctor wrote out notes and handed me the sheet, which outlined every option she said. So I'm assuming that's her breast surgeon. A lot of times when we're giving the diagnosis, we often don't know, you know, most people say, what stage is it? And And really, it's too early to tell most of the time, which is what I tell people. And because it's really based on size, it's based on nodes, it's based on has it metastasized. So often, we don't know all that information yet. And that is definitely the most frequently asked question I get. And I always say, I always tell people, write this down. Like, I can't answer all your questions today. And you're going to have them at random points throughout your, like, the next few weeks. You're in shock right now. Um, but over the next few weeks, we're going to have some questions and write those down because the surgeon, your oncologist, your breast cancer team, they're going to be like your, they're going to be there to answer all your questions. And you're going to, it's important that you remember those later. So I always tell people to write it down. Um, but this one said, when I asked how bad it was, she said, well, breast cancer in a 32 year old isn't good and made jokes about her sister-in-law and not liking her new curly hair post chemo. Oh, that breaks my heart. I think, so I think we are so fortunate that we are like dedicated breast imagers. You know, you and I are specially trained in this. And I think unfortunately with the healthcare system, there's a lot of general radiologists who have to do this like maybe once a month or twice a month. Some are phenomenal, I'm sure. But I think for some people, it's since they don't do it that often, they just, it's maybe like a hard or difficult and they're just inexperienced in that conversation. And even sometimes I'll, you know, if, I'll get awkward sometimes, you know, I think no one's perfect, but it is so important, I think, to give us this feedback um, because all we can do is try to get better. And and we're all here just trying to make it a better experience for all of the patients. And, um, and we can only do that with feedback, I think. So I want to share a story that happened to me during fellowship and it really stuck with me. And I honestly think it made me a, a thousand times of a better doctor. So I'm, when I, when I do biopsies, I usually try to distract the patient. I, I talk about their kids. I ask about their vacations, things like that. So I had a really good rapport with this one patient. And then when the results came back, I called her with the results. And it happened to be, and this is unusual, but it was metastatic cancer to her breast. And, you know, so I called her with the results. And I said, you know, unfortunately, the results showed that it was metastatic cancer. 
So you're going to need a follow-up with your breast surgeon and the rest of your team. And that was the end of the conversation. And three days later in my email, I got an email from an unknown email address. And she said, you know, I'm your patient from me a few days ago. I just wanted to give you my feedback because I know you're in training. and I know you're you know, going to go out there in the world one day and you're going to be a great doctor. But I want to tell you this. She said, I had metastatic cancer to my breast. The plan was actually not to see my breast surgeon. The plan was actually to change my chemotherapy. And when you told me the wrong plan, I just lost all confidence in you. Like I, like we had such a good rapport and I lost all confidence in you. So, and I just, I'm telling you this to make you a better doctor. And that stuck with me. I actually printed it out and I keep it in my office because I really think about her. Like now I really think about her often and I really try to sit with the diagnosis. I look up what the plan is. I see if anyone's spoken to them and try to just mentally prepare myself for like what the gravity of the situation and try to really offer my support, but also, and try to guide them as much as I can. But I really try to understand the plan and what's going on as the next step. And I think that's made me a better doctor. Yeah, for sure. I think it's the natural question is, so am I going to have surgery? Am I going to have radiation? Do I need chemo? And I, I agree with you. I usually tell the patients, you know, every, you know, we're so fortunate that we're in such like a personalized cancer treatment era where we have all these tests, like an oncotype or a mammoprint and, Mm -hmm. and really the plan can vary so much um, for each patient. So I, I I try to take a step back too. And as much as I want to give them the answers they need, I I try to give them some other resources and, but it's hard because you feel like you should know everything and you're a breast cancer doctor and you should know, right. are they going to definitely need chemo or radiation? And I think now it's just so variable per patient and per tumor, which is a great thing because we've found out so much more about how to treat different different types of tumors with different hormones and different uh, like recurrence risk scores and whatnot. But I know I always want to answer their questions and, and I think taking a step back and especially if I don't know for sure. Yeah. um, Is important. I think you bring up such a good point and I try to emphasize this, but I say every breast cancer is different. So, you know, just because your grandma had breast cancer, it doesn't mean you're going to have the same type of breast cancer because your friend had breast cancer. Every breast cancer is different. You know, we're, when we do the biopsy, you know, not only are we deciding is it breast cancer, but we're also deciding the receptors. Does it, what, kind of, what kind of receptors does it have to help target their therapy? So I think it really is important. And I try to explain that, that every breast cancer treatment is individualized. So... And it really is a conversation and a work in progress between you and the team to decide what's best for the individual patient. So everyone's different. And I say, don't Google it like, yeah. right away. Don't, don't, don't Google it. it. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that as a new mom, you know, I'm like, don't yeah. Google, stop Googling. And I, I try to tell my patients the same thing because on the internet, it's always worst case scenario. I feel like totally. so. Before I let you go to bed, I wanted to do a little lightning round. Um, okay. What's your morning beverage of choice? Oh, coffee. Like straight, just r- black? Coffee with a little milk. A little That's milk. it. I'm a, I'm a triple espresso over ice, which is like... Oh. <laughs> no wonder you're up like two times longer than me in the day. I joke. <laughs> I always tell the barista, this is my joke. I go, one for a kid. And they always like... <laughs> But we do a coffee round at work oh. right after lunch before our afternoon patients. So we do two rounds okay. in the day. So it probably adds up yeah. to that the same amount. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what's the last vacation you took? We were just, this is not exotic, but we were just for the week in Minnesota where I grew up. Mm. Um, we grew up on a big lake and my sister's family and my dad and my brother flew in from New York and we just spent a week in Minnesota summertime on the lake and spent a lot of time with my mom's mom actually who's 93 and still living alone so it was 
a wonderful vacation, even if it, well, all my friends were in Italy or Europe or something. And we're like, we're going to the lake in Minnesota, but it was fabulous. That sounds like a dream to me. Like a Midwest lake <laughs> summer is like <laughs> yeah, what I need right now. <laughs> what about you? Well, we were just in Long Beach Island with our sister-in-law um, and their house. And it was so much fun. And we went on a boat and Michael has never been on a boat. And we literally blew his mind. Oh. He was in love. Oh. And we're going to Florida because Howard's sister is getting married in two weeks. Oh, fun. So, yeah. That's so exciting. Thanks. Wait, have you picked out a dress? I feel like you were, we helped on social media pick out a dress for your sister's wedding I a few years ago, right? I love remember that. <laughs> I love fashion. <laughs> I want to incorporate more fashion in the booby dot for 2020. I love you know? it. Yeah, I, I do these all the time and I'm like embarrassed to actually publish them. No, they're great. Okay. I love it. Cause I have, I love to vote on that I stuff. I have a good mom style. Like I've like really nailed it down. Like I have a, a fanny yeah. pack collection. Like yes. <laughs> a tie dye everything. I have such a fanny pack. <laughs> <laughs> my purses are like on a shelf in the closet that go on. Touch. Oh my god, Kardashians or Bachelor? Oh my gosh, four years ago I would have said Bachelor for sure. So now I might say the new Kardashians over the current Bachelor, but I'm with you. Even when Gabby and Rachel come back, like, are you like excited for that? You gonna watch it? Oh, I'm gonna watch it. I might complain. I'm gonna watch it. What do you think they're gonna do with two Bachelorettes? So is it one cast? Like, I just can't even imagine. One cast, and they're both gonna be fighting. I don't know. This will be interesting because the last time they did two casts was Caitlyn and um yes the beauty oh, queen what was her name yes I follow her on Instagram oh my goodness too. oh Brie Brett yes and they voted for Caitlyn even Caitlin. though Britt was like presented as the beautiful like one but Caitlyn was like fine oh, yeah but I was like why would you pit these two women against yeah, each no. other I didn't like that so at least now they're like besties a woman supporting like. woman is so much better than right. the other way so I'm going to watch that. Like, pick me. But I do love the new Kardashians on Hulu. I will tell you oh, that. That's so good. Wait, speaking of The Bachelor, and I'm going to, this is breaking news, but do you know who agreed to be on our podcast? No. Michael A. Stop. I love yeah. him. I He's like the nicest. How did that, how did you get him? So I messaged him on Instagram and he responded and I couldn't believe it. So for those who are not crazy Bachelor Nation, like Heather and I are. So he was on Katie's season of The Bachelorette and he was in the final four. But then he reveals that he lost his wife to breast cancer when their son was two or I think really young. Um, And it broke and he started this nonprofit organization called Live Life Like Laura, the L4 Project. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm obsessed. I love you so much. And then he left on his own accord because he wanted to be near James, his son. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's the best. But I think he's going to be on Bachelor in Paradise right now. So I think we're going to take a little hold on that one. <laughs> That's so exciting, though. I, I think I can't wait to see him on Bachelor in Paradise. I feel like some he is a catch. And I love oh, yeah. that at some point I know he's going to be on your podcast because he he's totally dedicated will. to the cause. <laughs> but I really am happy for him to find love. Like, I want that more than him to be on the podcast. But when he's done, he'll definitely <laughs> same, same. What are you currently watching on Netflix? Oh, I mean a suggestion. I haven't seen anything in so long. I was literally polling my friends today. So if you have something. Have you watched The Home Edit? No, I haven't even heard of that. The Home Edit? No. Um, oh my God. <laughs> um, Adrian and I are both obsessed. It's, um, it's Clea and Joanna. They are like best friends slash organizers and they organize everything by rainbow. And it's like the most beautiful, um, I don't know, it just comes out so aesthetically beautiful. And besides that, they're amazing. Like they're, Adrian and I, they're friendship goals for us. I'm going to check it out. I love rainbow. I love the rainbow bookshelf. Oh my God. So that's them. Oh, I love that. That's so fun. So you should definitely watch that. And actually Clea got diagnosed with breast cancer. So she's been really vocal about it and posting a lot about it. Um, So it's a good time. It's a good time to watch this. And it's interesting. 
okay, I'll check it out. I actually want to share this crazy story about the home edit. So Clea, it was her 40th birthday. I was following them on Instagram and she was putting in her story that she was celebrating her 40th birthday. And I'm, I don't know why I did this. I've never done this before, but I basically messaged her and I was like, Hey, Clea, welcome to welcome to the 480 and Up Club. Like as part of your membership, you have to get your first mammogram. Like we would love to do something with you if you're interested. I was like, fun fact, like in our pro, in our podcast cover, we're wearing Clea and Joanna inspired jean jackets. Um, she never responded. I don't even know if she saw it. And then that was back in like early February. And then it came out in April. She posted this announcement that she was diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer and she found the lump at the end of February and it took her a while to get the appointment and she kind of put it off because they were busy promoting and everything. And I was like, oh my God, like I called Adrian, both sat on the phone, like shocked. It felt so personal just because I had reached out to her like a few weeks before. That's crazy. Her outcome wouldn't have changed at all, but it's just kind of crazy just I don't know. I was really kind of, it felt like my friend was diagnosed with breast cancer when that happened. Yeah. But it's really cool because she's really being, she's really outspoken about her breast cancer diagnosis. And she's telling about, you know, she started her chemo and she, she shaved her head in preparation for chemo. And she's really so strong. And I don't know, it's just so important for her to share her story because it's going to help so many women like her, like young women that think that they're too young to get breast cancer. So many. Yeah. And I think, you know, when all these 40 versus 50 um, controversial when to start screening come out, it's, you know, we we've seen so many this year, especially once there was a little backlog from like when people stopped screening during COVID. I've seen multiple baseline asymptomatic women at 40 where we found an invasive breast cancer on their baseline screen at 40. It's just such a good reminder that i feel so strongly, and I know you do, that women should start at 40 if they're of average risk, at least. Um, And there's like so few reasons not to. And I feel like we just have to keep getting that message across. And I'm so glad that people who are much more in the public eye than we are are passing along the right message like she's spending her time doing. Yeah, she said she was 39 when she developed the breast cancer and she had no family history and she found the lump. And, and I, I re- we really promote the self-breast exam because I know that the American Cancer Society doesn't promote, they don't, they don't recommend it anymore. And I really have a strong, I disagree with that because I think it's so confusing because if you're not getting screened and you're in your 30s or even your 20s, how else would you find your own breast cancer? We're not screening this population. And there are women who will develop breast cancer in their 20s and 30s. So that's really like, I think there is a role for the monthly self-breast exam. I agree completely. And I think especially so in this era of telehealth, like Mm -hmm. I tried to get an internist appointment and they switched it to telehealth. And I'm like, well, who's going to like examine me? And so I think especially when women are being examined by their doctors less frequently than ever, I think in the past, I Mm -hmm. think um, unfortunately, less to fewer doctors are doing physical exams. At least that's been my personal experience. Um, I think I strongly believe in a self-exam. And I like to remind women, especially young women, that vast, vast majority of the time, if you feel something, it's not going to be cancer. But until you come in and get imaged, there's no way for us to know. So don't freak out. Um, you know, I don't want to give women unnecessary, you know, worry. The most palpable lumps in that age group are going to be benign, but the only way we know for sure is, is to get imaging done. So 100%. You know, if it's, if you're, if it bothers you, I think that you push your doctor and say, I want to get this evaluated with imaging. I would feel more comfortable if we did that. And, you know, under 30, we start with an ultrasound over age 30. We start with a mammogram and ultrasound. And the reason is that oftentimes, you know, you may come in for one thing and we find breast cancer in the other breast. So that's what, that's the the reasoning behind getting an image. And, and we could often tell, you know, either by imaging or by a simple biopsy, whether or not it's something to worry about. Mm -hmm. So totally agree. No, totally. It's a good opportunity to get screened. um, Definitely. For sure. I I think Dr. Um, Hopin said that 30,000 women a year will be diagnosed with breast cancer before the age of 50. Oh. Um, 
Yeah. So it's, it's significant. And, and that's when women have the most life years left. So life years to gain. So I feel so strongly, so strongly that it's the younger women that we really need to not be saying, Oh, maybe you should do every other year. Maybe you should start later. I think this is the age, you know, we know women get more aggressive cancers in their younger years and less women are screening under 50 because of all these various recommendations. So to me, we should be advocating for more screening in that age group. And maybe as we talk about much later in life, you know, when we know women tend to get more indolent breast cancers on average. Um, But I know we're all in the same boat and we're all so (laughs) passionate about this cause and just getting our message across. And it's so hard because certain news outlets are so anti-screening for whatever reason. And, it's gotten really political. It's really, it's sad. I, I you know, I, I do think it's important that we, you know, try to, I don't think we can emphasize it enough. For those who follow us on Instagram, you probably already saw the news, but Adrian is taking a social media sabbatical. And with that goes the booby doc. So she is leaving the chat. I am so grateful that I've gotten to do this with her over the last year and a half. And she's really given me my confidence and given me my voice. And she's really just helped build this into what it's become. And I know she's told me she wants me to continue it without her. And I I, I told her I'm leaving the F because the door is always open um, for her to come back. And I also realize that I love collaborating. So I'm definitely keeping the ass. You're going to be great. You're going to be great. I'm a little nervous to do it without her, but I'm excited also because I'm 150% all the time. And she's really good. She like slows me down. Like she's like, take a step back. Like let's slow our roll. It doesn't need to get done now. So somewhere in the middle is like our happy medium that I need to figure out on my, by myself. Yeah, but she's still my best friend, and I still get to work with her once a week at least. So you'll still see her around, but we are. She is leaving the podcast for now and the Instagram. Will she still be in the TikTok dances? Uh, I like. I feel like I can't ask her. I feel like she needs a few weeks okay. off. <laughs> yeah, fair. It's good for all of us to take a little break once in a while. People keep asking me, am I going to do it by myself? The show must go on. I am definitely going to do it by myself. I'm going to take the summer off and just kind of try to work on this podcast and kind of build it up and find my voice, how it's going to be like without her. Well, I saw you're on the SBI social media committee. So you've got this other great group of collaborators, which will be awesome. Totally. And if you ever want to do a TikTok... You know, I might not be the person, but I could maybe find someone. Well, Heather, thank you. Dr. Greenwood, thank you so much for being on our podcast. You are fabulous. And your mom is so proud of you. I I feel her energy through you and all around you. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so in awe of you and all that you're doing to keep the message and the awareness out there because it's so important. And so thank you for having me. Thank you guys for listening. And I look forward to listening to all next season after a much deserved break for you. Thank thank you so much. Have a great night. Until next time, let's be breasties. If you like what you heard or learned something new, please make sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. I've literally always wanted to say that and share with your friends. Make sure you check back every two weeks for more great content. We've got some incredible guests coming up and you won't want to miss them. And follow the Booby Docs across all social media platforms for more of the breast information.